Over 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, there was an awakening. 120 people were gathered in an upper room and they experienced the move of God, the fire of God inside. Their hearts were overwhelmed by His presence, the love of God in their veins. And, and they were huddled up in the upper room just like the night they were with the Messiah before the cross when he broke the bread and he poured out the cup and only now the fullness that he had promised had come, the fullness of life in the Spirit. And it's this explosive beginning of his church. God's presence on earth, his fullness dwelling in his people. And so together we retrace the steps of this early movement through history. The movement continues today. We are the disciples who are being formed and filled. We are the disciples who are learning to fast and pray. We are the ones who are learning to listen and to obey, to seek His face and to show His love to the world around us. And God longs to pour out the fullness of His Spirit, to overflow our hearts and our lives today, that we would experience all that He has for us. So to do that, we make room. We make room in our lives to experience a deeper level of faith. So we press pause on our normal rhythms to create space setting aside time to refocus and to allow God's presence and power to refine us. We are a community that's moving from restlessness of this world to the fullness, to being desperate for His presence. And so we pray, God awaken us, awaken our hearts, awaken our homes, awaken our cities and awaken our world. And revival and renewal is our anthem. It's the cry of our hearts and we are united in our pursuit of Him, and God is awakening His church that we would awaken the world. Welcome to Cross Point and our first week of Awaken. I love this season. There is just, there's high expectancy that's it's in me. And um, I just gotta be, be honest, so at the beginning of this, there's a little bit of just like um, nervous excitement. Nervous excitement is what, is what I would call it. Um, there's excitement because I know that God's going to move in a powerful way. I don't know all of what he's going to do, but I know it's going to be good because he's good. And at the same time, there's a little bit of nervousness because um, anytime we begin a time of prayer and fasting, um, well, it just, it, it costs us something. It costs us something. So the nervousness is because I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, my flesh does not get excited about fasting. Uh, my flesh gets excited about hamburgers. And so, but there's something in fasting, in the uncomfortableness of it, where we experience growth. You know, I was thinking back to it, and I was like, I can't remember anything of lasting significance in my life that happened by the way of comfort. Uh, comfort will take you out. Uh, there was a, there was a, a research project that John Ortberg talks about. It, it happened at UC Berkeley where scientists wanted to create the, um, the optimal environment for an amoeba. And so what they did was they, uh, they, they went through and they set it up with the, with the optimal moisture and the right temperature and the proper nourishment, everything that that amoeba would need to, to survive, everything that would make an amoeba happy. And so they got all the conditions right and, and you know what happened? It died. That little amoeba, it died. And because here's what they found out is that if we want to live, if we want to thrive, we have to be challenged. If we want to grow, we have to be uncomfortable. We have to embrace uncomfortable things because your, your, your comfort zone is here and your growth zone is here. 
If we want to grow in life, we have to get out of our comfort zone. I think sometimes our comfort zone can be the most dangerous place in our lives because if we stay in our comfort zone, we miss the thing that God wants to do. And so in this season, I want to, I want to invite you to experience the uncomfortable. I want to invite you to take a step of faith outside of your comfort zone to experience what God wants to do in you. I believe God wants to grow you. He wants to grow your faith. And so I want to invite you to do some uncomfortable things, to join us in this season of, of prayer and fasting. It's prayer and fasting. If it's just fasting without prayer, that's a diet. But fasting with prayer, that's where the power is. So, so find, pick, a, pick a date, pick a few dates, pick, pick some time in this month and join us in fasting and prayer. We've got a fasting guide online. You can, you can read about it and, and learn how to enter into this, this discipline and to, that we would grow in that way. So, so join us in the fast. Um, Join us in the reading of scripture. We're reading through the book of Acts, 28 chapters of Acts. There are 29 days in the month. It's leap year. We got an extra day. Um, but on that extra day, we're going to have a night of worship. And so that night of worship is going to be at our Nashville campus. It's going to be on the 29th at 6.30 p.m. Go ahead and lock it in on the calendar. And then we'll invite you to show up on the weekends. Join us on the weekends. Come hungry for God to move. And God makes us a promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what God wants most. That's what God wants. You know what? God isn't, God isn't inviting us to fast because he wants a sandwich. God, God's not inviting us to fast because he wants our sandwiches. You know what God wants? He wants our hearts. But I don't know about you, but my heart can be all over the place. My heart can be all over the place. And fasting is one of those disciplines in life that, that, that takes our heart, our affection, and our attention and places it on him. And God promises if we seek him, we will find him. When we seek for the, God loves to be found. He loves to be sought. And so together as a church in the season of waking, we're saying, God, we are seeking you for the more that you want to do in our life and in our church and our families and in the city. And so we're reading the book of Acts, and, uh, and today in our reading, we're on Acts chapter 4. So here's what I want to do today. I want to I set up the book. I want to give you an intro to the book. I want to cover some ground in those first couple chapters, and then I want to uh, start off with a question. And so the question for today is this, do you ever feel restless? We got a yes over here. Do you ever feel restless? Have you ever felt restless? And here's the thing, I think we all do. I think, I think we all feel restless in life. You know sometimes when you have an itch in the in the middle of your back that you can't you know what I'm talking about that you can't get to, you know, and this arm doesn't work and this arm doesn't work and you can't get back there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you right now you've got an itch just because I talked about it. So just ask the person next to you, just scratch scratch your back. This is um this is this happens in life and when you get that itch in the center of your back, um like you'll do anything to get relief, like you'll do Am I the only one? Um, but like anything to try to, to try to get relief from that, and that's what can happen with the restlessness inside. This restless, like there's got to be more. There's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to purpose. There's got to be more to meaning. And when we feel that sense of restlessness, we'll do anything to get relief. And people turn to all different kinds of things. They turn to, turn to food and drink and work and sex and a, achievement and accomplishment and gambling and status and success and fame and, and Amazon. The trail of Amazon boxes. Have you ever bought the thing and thought it was going to do a thing, but it didn't do the thing that you thought it was going to do? And then you look back and there's still that restlessness. Have you ever, have you ever opened up the fridge and looked inside the fridge 
And it's because of, res- you're not even hungry. Somebody's like, well, are you hungry? Do you want to eat? You're like, no, I'm just having an existential crisis. I mean, there's this, this, this sense of restlessness that drives us to food. It drive, we, we, we try to find solutions for this restlessness. And people try all kinds of things. They'll, they'll change all kinds of external things to try to meet an internal restlessness. They'll change jobs and change cities and change, change cars and change houses and change spouses and change all kinds of things to try to, to try to fulfill an internal restlessness. And so what's the deal with this restlessness? Well, St. Augustine said this. He said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. He said that in the fifth century, long before Amazon Prime. Church fathers knew, and throughout history we've known, there is a restlessness in our hearts. And so the first thing we do is we acknowledge we're restless people. We admit our restlessness. There come times where you just come to terms with it. I don't know if you realize this, but a few weeks back we had some snow. Do you remember we had some snow? You, it was a nice little flurries on Sunday night. I was driving home from church, and, and flurries just, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. Woke up the next day to a, to a winter wonderland in Middle Tennessee, six to eight inches of, of snow, and, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful, and all the things. I mean, the sledding and the snowman, got to enjoy snow angel, all the things that you want to enjoy, we enjoyed. And that was Monday. <laughs> and then it... It, it went to like 30 below zero, and you know, it's like, and you folks from Minnesota, you know, you were like okay with that, but we're not. And so it's like, it just, it just froze, it was just a sheet of ice, and things just shut down for the whole week. I mean, it was Tuesday, Wednesday, I mean, it was, school was canceled, and work from home, and, and I started to notice something that was happening. I realized it on Friday, is that I was spending every night planning my summer vacation. I was a pastor by day and a travel agent by night. I knew all the sites I was looking, and I was going, and, I, and it wasn't until Friday that I figured out, this is not about my family vacation. This is about restlessness. It wasn't until Friday, I was like, oh, it's for my family. It wasn't for my family, it was for me. I was restless in here. I was tired of being in the house. I was made for more than being domesticated in the house for an entire week. There was more in here that I long to do, and restlessness is like that. That our restlessness points us to a spiritual reality. C.S. Lewis says this way, he says, if I, find my, in my, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And you were made for another world. You were made for another kingdom. You were made for more. This restlessness that we feel, it points us to God because he's the only one who can fulfill this restlessness. The restlessness points us back to how we were made. We were made in the image of God. We were made for a relationship with God. And Adam and Eve, it says, Genesis 3 says, they walked with God in the cool of the day. That's fullness. They walked with God. They experienced God. The fullness of God is life with God. And so that's the fullness that we were made for. Well, Satan enters the chat. And so Satan begins to tempt Adam and Eve that there's more. To go against the thing that God, the one thing that God told them not to do, to eat of this one tree. They could enjoy all, there was just abundance to enjoy all the rest, but Satan tempted them with this idea, is God really good? Like, is God holding out on you? Can you trust God? And they took the bait, 
and restlessness entered in. Sin entered the picture. And sin created this gap with a holy God. And when you read through the Bible, you read the first 39 books, the Old Testament, and the message of the Old Testament is a, a holy God who is, who is lovesick for his creation, for his people, that God is pursuing you out of love. He is pursuing his people out of love and longing to close this gap. But this gap is there, and so God is continually sending messages. He's continually sending this, this message that I, I am with you. I am with you. He sends prophets and priests and kings to deliver this message. I am with you. He makes a covenant. He makes a promise. I am with you. In fact, the most frequently made promise in the Old Testament is I am with you. God's sending these messages. I am with you. And, and because we forget that, he says it over and over, but because we forget that, he gives them these, these tangible markers of his invisible presence, like a tabernacle and an ark and a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, all to remind them, a temple to remind them, I am with you. There's a gap, and God is saying, I am with you. But then in the fullness of time, Galatians says, in the fullness of time, the plan that God had been working all along, God sends his son, Jesus. His name is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's not just a Christmas message. That's an everyday message. That Jesus, the son of God, came near to show us. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. John said, man, we have never seen one with such grace and truth. We've never seen, and Jesus, fully God and fully man, demonstrates the love of God, the ultimate expression of the love of God. You need to know you are loved by God. If you want to know how much you're loved, just look at the cross. And it's through the cross that Jesus closes the gap. It's through the cross that Jesus said, I love you. The, the message of the cross is that God loves you this much and he closes the gap between a sinful people and a holy God and makes it so that we can be one with God. And so we're one with God. And then Jesus says, it gets even better. He says, I am going, I'm giving you this promise that the Father belongs to send the spirit of God to dwell in you. The fullness of God is the spirit of God dwelling in me, dwelling in you. Those of us who believe, who have put our faith in Jesus, that now God is not out there and he does not live in a, in a temple. He's not far off just kind of watching everything happen. It's not that he's in a temple that we have to go to. It's that he dwells in the hearts of those who believe belong to him, who have trusted in Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And this is the message of Acts. The message of Acts is what happens when the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, and when people trust Jesus and are filled with his spirit. Now, they call it the Acts of the Apostles, but really, I think a more accurate like title, they didn't ask me, but I think a more accurate title of the book is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and through the church. So it's the movement of the Holy Spirit that we get to get in on, that we would receive. And it tells the story of what happens when that happens. So that being the intro, let's go to the book of Acts. Get a little fired up about this boy. The book of Acts tells the story of what happens when that happens. Who wrote the book of Acts? Let's look for a clue. Acts chapter one, verse one. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, 
I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he says, in my former book, that's our clue. What's the former book? Anybody know? Gospel of Luke. So Luke is the author. If you go to the Gospel of Luke, it's the same intro. He's addressing it to Theophilus. So Luke is a historian, he's a physician, he's a doctor, and he's, he's writing this letter to give an account for Theophilus. Theophilus is likely a, a wealthy Roman official who commissioned Luke to go do this work to write this letter to give a historical account. And so the Gospel of Luke, it's, it's two parts. The Gospel of Luke tells the story of Jesus and of his life and of his ministry, of his death and of his burial and of his resurrection. And the, the, the book of Acts tells the story about the the early church. And so we have both of these books together in the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. And, and, and it's just like God, because Luke thought he was writing this, this historical account for one person, Theophilus, and here we are five billion copies later. And it's just like, just like God, because Theophilus thought that he was, he was commissioning, his generosity commissioning Luke to write this letter. And here's the wild part. This is what you'll find. At the beginning of the Luke, the beginning of, of, of Acts, Luke is an outsider. He's an observer. He's a researcher. He's a historian. And by the end of the book of, the book of Acts, he's a follower of Jesus. Don't you love that? By the end, of, he's writing himself into the story. He's like us and we. And so now he becomes a part of the movement, even risking his life for the gospel. And, and so I, I love how this, how this book comes together. So I just want you to know, if you're a bit intimidated by this, this is for you. Whether, whether you are like Theophilus and you're just dipping your toes in the water, or whether you're like Luke and you're ready to jump in the deep end. I've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years. I maybe read this book 10, 15 times. Some of you are like, you should have read that more. Don't should on me. I mean, this is don't should me. This is, I'm telling you, I've, I've read it 10 to 15 times, and I probably should read it more, but I'm telling you, this, this, this book, it messes with me. Because every time I read it, it, it messes with me. Because I see my experience of life in the Holy Spirit, and I see what's in the book. I'm telling you, it makes me ask the question, when did I become domesticated in my faith? When did, I, when did I settle for life in the house? The book of the book of Acts tells the story of what happens when the Holy Spirit leaves <laughs> the temple. I'm like, how do I live a life? It just makes me restless in a good way. And my prayer for you is that it would make us restless in a good way because some of us get so comfortable with tradition and religion and routine and rhythm. And my prayer is that God would use this, this book to, to break us free, to set us free from tradition and to set us free from, our, from the cow paths of, of religion and that we would experience, instead of ruts, we would experience revival. Revival in our hearts and in our lives. And so my prayer is that you would bring an, an open heart and an open mind to this book and that we would experience the fullness of God as we read, as we read together. And so what you're going to find is in the first three chapters, he gives us this roadmap from restless to fullness, from restless to fullness. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you if you're one of those taking notes kind of folks. You can go ahead and you can get ahead. I'll give you all three of them at the same time. So here we go. The first is the, pay, the promise. The second is the payoff. And the third is the path forward. From restless to fullness, the promise, the payoff, and the path forward. Acts 1 begins with the promise. Begins with the promise. And 
Acts chapter 1, verse 4, says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, in his ministry, Jesus gave him a heads up. He, he taught them about the Holy Spirit. He told them who the Holy Spirit is and, and what the Holy Spirit experienced, the role of the Holy Spirit would be in our lives. And he says the Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit teaches, or is the presence of God. He is the peace of God. He teaches us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit is truth. The Holy Spirit bears witness. That is, he, he points to Jesus. He exalts Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives a new life. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what Jesus taught us. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Here's a, not to make us comfortable, but because God expected us to do things that would be uncomfortable. So when we step out in faith and we do things that are uncomfortable, the Holy Spirit comforts us. Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit is power. Look at Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That word power in the Greek is dunamis. It's, 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 it's explosive power. It's divine energy that God would give us power. Why? To accomplish his purpose and his mission in the earth. That he doesn't give his power that we can accomplish our purposes. He gives his power in our lives so that we can accomplish his purposes, so that we can live the life that Jesus lived and do the things that Jesus did. Um, back in the 60s, there was a keyboard player named John Wimber who played in a band, and, uh, and he, he came to Jesus. He read the book of John, and he, he realized who Jesus is. And, uh, and after reading the Gospel of John, he gave his life to Christ, and he went to a church and found a pastor, and he asked the pastor. He said, now what do I do? And the pastor said, keep reading. And so he kept reading, and he read the, the book of Acts. And when he read the book of Acts, he was blown away by what happened with the local church. He went back to the pastor, and he said, i got to ask you a question. He said, um, when do we get to do the stuff? And the pastor's like, what do you mean? He's like, you know the stuff. I read the book you told me, and when do we get to do the healing and the deliverance and the miracles and the ministry and the transformation? And the pastor said, well, that was for then, and this is for now. He said, you mean I quit drugs for this? And went on, John Wimber went on to, to lead a movement called the Vineyard Movement. And their mantra was doing the stuff. <laughs> I wonder what more stuff does God have for us? Where are we living in just a room in the house when God has so much more for us to experience of his spirit and of his power? He said, I will give you power so that you can live my mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth. The disciples are like, how do we get this power? And Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and what? Wait. Don't you hate it when God says that? He says, go to Jerusalem and wait. We hate to wait. Because when I wait, I'll just say, this is me. I don't know why, you, I don't even know if you hate to wait. I'm just assuming that you hate to wait, but I hate to wait. And one way you can know that I hate to wait is I start doing my knee like this. I mean, I, some people say it's restless knee syndrome. No, it's impatience. It's like a universal symbol that I 
am done waiting. And so I'll start bouncing my knee. I've noticed something about God. He is not hurried by my bouncing knee. God is not affected by my bouncing knee. God will let my knee bounce until it stops. See, what waiting does is it moves us from restlessness to rest. God wants us to rest in him. Jesus said, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Make your life connected to me. And so restlessness to rest happens in waiting. Waiting reminds me that I'm not in control, that I'm not in charge, that there are things that I long to see happen in and through my life and around me that I can't make happen on my own. Waiting puts me at a place of rest, if I let it, put me at a place of rest and utter dependence on God. I'm like, God, I can't do this on my own. Waiting has a way of getting us to a place of emptiness, brokenness, where we come to terms with our, with our, with our failures and where we realize, I, I, I can't, can't do this on my own, I'm, I'm empty. And emptiness is what God can work with because God can fill an empty vessel. See, we can't be filled with the spirit of God if we're full of ourselves. You can't be full of the spirit and full of yourself at the same time. And so God will use waiting in our lives to, to empty ourselves of ourselves so that he can fill us up. And I'm telling you, it is worth the wait. It was worth the wait for these disciples because they're waiting and they're praying and they're worshiping and they're thanking God for Jesus and they're waiting. And for 10 days, they've been waiting. That's a long time to wait in an upper room when you don't know how long you're going to be waiting. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost means 50 days. It was a harvest festival where the, the city had tripled in size. People come from all over the nations to come and to worship there for that festival. And uh, 120 was in the upper room. It's likely the same room that they shared that final meal with Jesus. And they're together, not just physically, but they're together in spirit. They're together in unity. They're together in oneness. And God is looking for a united church that he can pour out his spirit on. See, unity is our responsibility. The pouring out the spirit is God's responsibility. And a divided world needs to see a united church. It's the only way that we win a divided world. And so the church came together and they're united in an upper room. God pours out the spirit. This leads us to the payoff. He pours out the spirit. And verse two said a mighty wind was rushing through the house. Verse three, tongues of fire over each one of their heads. Verse four, the Holy Spirit filled them and they're speaking in other languages. All of these symbols were symbols in the Old Testament, pictures of I am with you. And now God has said, it is realized the spirit of God living in us, the power of God. And I want you to see the sign that happened at Pentecost is maybe more more than all the other signs that happen in the upper room. It's that Peter steps out of the upper room with the other disciples, with the 120, and he goes to the temple steps and he begins to preach. Now this is Peter who denied Jesus publicly when Jesus was on trial. This is Peter who deserted Jesus when he was at the cross. This was Peter who, who locked the door out of fear that Rome would have more crosses and that he'd be crucified. So the one who cowered back in fear now has boldness and courage, one of the greatest marks of the Spirit of God in our lives is that we would have boldness and courage to proclaim Jesus. And he stands up at the top of the temple steps and he begins to preach. And the people hear the gospel. 
They hear the gospel, they hear the good news, and it says that they were cut to the heart, and 3,000 were saved and baptized on that day, the day that the church began. Talk about explosive power at Pentecost. They waited on the Lord, the Spirit was poured out, and God moved. And I want you to see what, I mean, imagine you're a part of that 120. You were praying for 10 days, you were waiting for 10 days. You're like, well, I guess the Holy Spirit came. I mean, the church grew 25x in one day. Powerful move of God. But they got a problem. Nobody wants to leave Jerusalem. Everybody wants to stay. All these people have come from all the nations, and they're, they're gathered there, so the people open up their homes. Look at, look, at the, look at the path forward. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the church. Do you see what I'm talking about from this gap of like what they experience and, and where I feel like I am, where I feel like we are? And what God wants to do is close the gap, not in our own power, not in our own strength, but through the power, through the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. That's the point. But that we would say, God, would you fill me with your spirit so that, so that I can continue the life and ministry of Jesus so that we can continue it together. That's the path forward. People who would be devoted to the word of God, devoted to being together, to be filled with awe, that would be praying for miracles, to be loving God and serving one another and, and sharing Jesus and living generously and continually growing in their faith, that we would be that kind of people together. God wants to close the gap. He wants us to, to, to look to Jesus. What do we do with a restless heart? We bring our restless heart to Jesus and we look to Jesus. John Newton said it this way. He said, look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Look unto him as he hung naked, wounded, bleeding, dead, and forsaken upon the cross. Look unto him again as he now reigns in glory, possessed of all power in heaven and in earth, with thousands and thousands of saints and angels worshiping before him, and then compare your sins with his blood, your wants with his fullness, your unbelief with his faithfulness your weakness with his strength, your inconstancy with his everlasting love. If the Lord opens the eyes of your understanding, you would be astonished at the comparison. Come to Jesus. Bring your restless heart to him. Wait on him. Listen to him. Obey him. Receive the fullness of his spirit. Receive the fullness of his love for you. And then step out and do the things he's asking you to do. So I want to leave you with a, with a picture, with a word picture, with a, with a symbol for fullness. It's a symbol for me. It's an orange crate. You're like, what does that have to do with fullness? It's an empty orange crate. It reminds me of the story of, and I know February is uh, Black History Month, and one of the most influential black preachers in history, his name is William Seymour. And William Seymour was a pastor in Azusa, 
Azusa Street in California in 1905. And he grew up um, a son of slaves that had been freed, and he wanted to go to Bible college, but because of segregation, he was unable to, and he sat in the hallway and took notes. He got hired to pastor a church in California, and he was brought there, and when he went there, after preaching for a little while, the church locked the doors. And so he went down the street and started a prayer meeting. And so they started a prayer meeting, just a small group of people praying, and God met them in such a powerful way the explosive power of God, the Holy Spirit. And it was a movement like the world had never seen. Multicultural, multi-ethnic move of God, cutting through socioeconomic education barriers, people coming together and loving one another, serving one another. It was Acts 2 in our nation in 1905. And this movement, in two years, this movement sent missionaries out around the world to Mexico and Canada and Western Europe and Middle East and, and West Africa and countries in Asia and South Africa and Central and Eastern Europe and Northern Russia. All of that out of two years of what God did. The Holy Spirit moved in such a powerful, powerful way. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with the orange crate? Well, they said that William Seymour in the meetings, that he would take an orange crate, some say orange crate, some say um, shoebox, so don't get you know, caught up in the... Uh, in the details. Maybe he used both, I don't know. But they said that he would take an orange crate and while the worship was going on, he'd take his head and he'd put his head in the orange crate. And he'd just sit and he'd wait. And he would wait to hear from God. And then once he had received a word from God, he'd put the crate down and he'd stand up and preach. They said there were sometimes they would gather together and he would never take his head out of the orange crate because he didn't want to manipulate or fabricate or speak from his own flesh. I read that story. I went on eBay and bought an orange crate. I'll tell you the first thing when I got it, I got nervous. Is my head going to fit in there? I don't know. I got a big melon. <laughs> I sat in my office and I thought, God, I don't want to say anything that doesn't come from you. To God, would you speak? And I just waited. And I just wait. Because as a church, we don't want, we don't want to do anything in our own strength and our own power. But God's looking for people who would wait who would wait on him and say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you fill me with your power so I can live life on your mission? And you don't have to buy an orange crate. You just have to be willing to be emptied out. And then to pray, God, would you fill me? For some of you today, and your prayer needs to be, God, would you close the gap? You've never received the forgiveness of Jesus. And before you can receive the Holy Spirit, you must trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Repent from your sin, turn to God, put your faith in Jesus, receive forgiveness, close that gap. You can do that today. For others, you've done that, but you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. That's for you today. That's what God wants for you. So let me lead you in a prayer and then we'll sing a song together as our response in our prayer together.
Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your spirit, for your spirit that has been poured out. We thank you for your promise that for all who put their trust in Jesus, you will dwell in them. You will dwell with us. So I pray for those who need to trust Jesus today for forgiveness of sin. If that's you, then you just pray a prayer like this. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for me. I put my trust in you. You can have my life. I want to follow you. Now I want to invite you if you want to receive the fullness of the Spirit, whether you've been following Jesus for about a minute or you've been following Jesus for a long time, you need a fresh feeling today, just ask. During this song, just ask. Father, fill me with your Spirit, empty of me, full of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. Oh, we 
that chorus one more time together. Let's just invite him in. Let's invite his spirit to just pour in this room, to pour over your life, to pour over your circumstance. He wants to meet with you today. He wants to love you today. And all, his, all of his grace and all of his mercy and all of his goodness and his kindness. So Father, pour out on us. Pour your spirit out on us afresh today. Pour it out, let your love run